Queers Did That, a queer history podcast. I'm your co-host, Amanda. And I'm the other co-host, Katie. Oh, hi, Katie. Hey. How you doing today? Pretty good. Oh, that's good. Yep. Yeah. So, today we're going to talk about Bayard Rustin. Who? What is that? Where? <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, he was a prominent leader and very instrumental in the civil rights movement along Martin Luther King, but not really focused on because he was gay. Yes. So that's probably, most definitely, why you never heard of him before. That makes sense. He was one of the reasons why the March on Washington happened. He was Martin Luther King's right-hand man. He organized all this stuff. But, you know, I think initially he was supposed to give the speech at some point because he was also like a very fiery speaker. Mm-hmm. But he was gay. Mm. So they were like, let's not do that. Let's get Martin Luther King instead. <laughs> so he was born in 1912 mm-hmm. in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Oh. Pennsylvania. And he was raised Quaker. Huh. And his family was engaged in civil rights activism, which makes sense. He attended Wilberforce University, Cheney State Teachers College, and City College of New York. <laughs> he earned a living as a spiritual singer in nightclubs while living in New York City. I would recommend going on YouTube and finding clips of him singing. It is very... He is very good at it. So, you know, multifaceted people. Nice. He took a brief interest in the communist movement, which we'll come back to later, and was a lifelong pacifist because he was Quaker. He was arrested multiple times and went to jail twice. Mm. In the 40s, he met A. Philip Randolph and worked with him on various marches in Washington, D.C. to protest segregation in the armed forces and the defense industry. Because of this, Randolph was named to head the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in 1963, and he appointed Rustin as deputy director of basically all of the logistics. He handled, he organized like the bathrooms and where, you know, people walked and people did this. He was in charge of all of that. In 1947, Rustin and George Hauser organized the Journey of Reconciliation, which was the first Freedom Rides. They were intended to test the Supreme Court's ban on racial discrimination in interstate travel. So because it was interstate, it became a federal thing and they could challenge it in the Supreme Court. Mm. He was arrested for violating state laws regarding segregated seating on public transportation and served 22 days on a chain gang (laughs) in jail. Because of his sexuality, he was often attacked as a pervert or quote, immoral influence by <laughs> political opponents, for, uh, especially segregationists, but also conservative black leaders Ugh. from the 50s to the 70s. In his interest and in dabbling into the Communist Party was controversial to many people, and he was very much under scrutiny by the FBI. <laughs> There's like a lot of, I think, release files on him recently, but yeah, they uh, were keeping tabs on him because of his interest in the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. Go figure, especially at that point yeah. in time. To avoid attacks on him or other people, that's why he kind of became a behind-the-scenes advisor, because there was a lot of people who weren't happy with him for being a tad communist. <laughs> past and also gay because a lot of times they said that he was very much out and open like personal circles but obviously not you know publicly so many people around him knew of his sexuality which kind of caused a stir within the civil rights movement so he kind of got pushed back to the behind the scenes and like kind of all that logistics and stuff 
this became more of a prominent issue because in 1953, he was arrested in California for sexual activity with another man in a parked car. Ugh. Because, oh yeah, the original charge was vagrancy and lewd conduct, because it's the 50s. Yeah. And pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of sex perversion. This was how sodomy was referred to, even consensual sodomy. Gotcha. So no matter what, sex perversion. Yes. And served 60 days in jail. That's the first time that his sexuality had come to any public attention outside his inner circle. After all this, after his conviction, he became executive secretary of War Resisters League. Because like a lot of the times he was kind of like kicked out of a couple other things, so different organizations. Oh, okay. So that was just a different yeah. organization. Yeah. And, and I guess, mod- what? I guess they resisted war. Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Was, yes. Good deduction. Thank you. Later in Montana, an American Legion chapter made his conviction in Pasadena public to try to cancel his lectures in the state. Mm. So they were like, "Hey, we know all about this. We're going to tell other people." Because we don't want you talking in the whole state of Montana. But, like, would it be, like, like colleges? Like, where would he be, like, lecturing? I mean, I would just, his lecture, so I'm assuming colleges. Gotcha. They don't specifically say, but I'm going to guess colleges, because that's probably the only places they would probably have them in the first place. Hmm. You know. Well, did they succeed? No, they did not succeed. That was good. Yeah. So, in 1956 is when he left the War Resistance League to advise Martin Luther King. Okay, so this is all before Martin Luther King. Yeah, so he got arrested in California. People were trying to use it against him. He kind of became a little bit, it became a little bit more public and became advisor to Martin Luther King, which then led to people not being too pleased with that because Mm -hmm. of the communist slash gay aspect of his life. Gotcha. But really... He was the one who kind of translated teachings and stuff into like nonviolent protests. He was the one who kind of helped formulate that and like kind of helped that go along with Martin Luther King. Like without him, without Rustin, it wouldn't have happened. Hmm. According to Rustin, he said, I think it's fair to say that Dr. King's view on nonviolent tactics was almost non-existent when the boycott began. In other words, Dr. King was permitting himself and his children and his home to be protected by guns. Which, I mean, fair. fair. Yeah. <laughs> but Rustin convinced him to abandon the armed protection, including a personal handgun. Huh. That's really interesting. I just always assumed that was King's, like, thing. Always, you know. Yeah, no. Huh. Rustin also believed in it as a social movement and wanted to integrate the ideology through other means, not just necessarily the civil rights movement. And the fact it has to be based on the collective needs of the people at the time, regardless of color, race, or creed. Hmm. Very intersectional in his thought of civil rights. He wanted everyone to be able to have human rights. Go figure. Such <laughs> a strange concept. Yes. So weird. After that, Rustin and King began organizing the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. This is when you have a lot of Christian, conservative, black leaders being like, Hey, I know he's like helpful to you, <laughs> but like he was a little bit communist. And also, like, he's real gay. We're not, like, total fans of that. Could you maybe not do that? U.S. Representative Adam Clayton Powell Jr., who was a member of the 
SCLC's board forced Rustin's resignation in 1960 and by threatening to discuss Rustin's moral charge in Congress. So he got booted because they're like, hey, you know who really wants to know about this? (laughs) Congress. So that's fun, you know. Obviously, his sexuality was a matter of public record because he had been arrested, but it hadn't been super discussed beyond the civil rights leadership at that point and like some people finding out you know in little pockets but not definitely not on a national congressional level so right. he's like okay well i'll resign <laughs> you know but you know even he was still super integral he said for the march he drilled off-duty police officers as marshals bus captains to direct traffic and scheduled the podium seeker. Despite King's support, the NAACP chairman, Roy Wilkins, did not want Rustin to receive any public credit for his role in planning the march. Uh So that's kind of why he's been on the sidelines of history, because there wasn't much acknowledgement or recognition of what he did for the march. On September 6, 1963, a photograph of Rustin and Randolph appeared on the cover of Life magazine, identifying them as the leaders of the march so you kind of had a little bit of it but i think through time it's kind of with like women and and science you kind of just they get erased from the retelling of history and then to the point of we don't know who they are Mm -hmm. so i think in this case it's similar it's like okay he was super important people knew at the time but as we're retelling the story he kind of got pushed to the sidelines yeah so in 1964 the democratic national convention which followed right after Freedom Rides in Mississippi. Rustin became an advisor to the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. They tried to gain recognition as anti-Jim Crow delegation from their state, where obviously a lot of black people have been disenfranchised because of that, and because of that, obviously excluded from the political system. DNC leaders Lyndon Johnson Mm -hmm. and Hubert Humphrey offered only two non-voting seats to the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Um, <laughs> it's mean, nice. If you know anything about Hubert Humphrey, that's not entirely surprising. Rustin, with the AFL-CIO, urged the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party to take the offer. Oh. And the other leaders, Fanning the Hammer and Bob Moses, rejected the arrangement because that it was still really dumb. Yeah. Um, but after that, many of the supporters kind of didn't trust Rustin because it kind of seemed as like a cop-out mm-hmm. or a sellout trying to compromise. I mean, also is fair. Yep. But his attempt at compromise appealed to the Democratic Party leadership. So it's all, <laughs> of course it did. You know, it's just all respectable. It just has to be all respectable. Respectability politics. Yep. It's kind of interesting because in 1986, Rustin was invited to contribute to the book In the Life of Black Gay Anthology. He declined because he didn't see himself as a gay pioneer, even though many people associated him with that. He said, quote, I was not involved in the struggle for gay rights as a youth. I did not come out of the closet voluntarily. Circumstances forced me out. I have no problem with being publicly identified as homosexual. It would be dishonest of me to present myself as one who was in the forefront of the struggle for gay rights. I fundamentally consider sexual orientation to be private matter. As such, it has not been a factor which has greatly influenced my role as an activist. Rustin didn't engage in any gay rights activism until the 1980s. He was urged to do so by his partner, Walter Nagel, who said that, quote, I think that if I hadn't been in the office at the time when these 
invitations from gay organizations came in, he probably wouldn't have done them. Hmm. Which, I mean, <laughs> fair, I think, with his life. But because of, and this is a lot of what happened, because marriage equality obviously didn't exist in the 80s. Yep. Rustin took, in 1982, Rustin adopted Nagel, who was 30 years old at the time. To legalize their union. Oh, yeah. So, so, like, so he died a, or whatever. Yeah. So there was a way of protecting like inheritance rights and kind of a workaround between you know hospital care mm-hmm. and like end of life decisions. A lot of a lot of gay men did that as a way of having some legality to their union, mm-hmm. even though I mean it's booking the system. Yeah. You know? It's weird, but like. I mean, you do what you gotta do. Yeah, you do it. Yeah, that's a, that's a, exactly. I mean, I think in the current marriage equality legality age that we live in, mm-hmm. it has been almost twenty years since the first state was legalized, and and so it's only yeah. been a couple of years since it's become national, but still kind of been ingrained into our mindsets as normal. So. I think especially in, you know, congruence with the AIDS crisis, any way of protecting yourself is you're going to do it, especially when you don't think marriage is even on the table. It was sort of going to be on the table, and then it was, like, talked about in Hawaii, I think, for a little bit. Oh. And then AIDS happened, and that's basically what set it back <laughs> for so long. Shut that shit down, yeah. Yeah, because they are like, oh, no, we can't give them marriage now because they're all dying because of us. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so. Yes. That's why Rustin adopted his partner. But it was kind of strange because Nagel explains that they had to go through the process like if he was adopting a small child. No. Oh. His biological mo- mother had to sign a legal paper. <laughs> was owning me, even though he was 30. Mm. A social worker had to come to the home. When a social worker arrived, she had to sit down and talk to us to make sure it was a fit home. So they had to do all this stuff. One of the reasons why social workers were so prominent in taking homosexuality as a psychological disorder out of it being a psychological disorder because they had so much other shit to deal with they're like we don't this is stupid this is dumb we're not doing this (laughs) yeah so a lot of the a lot of the leaps and bounds in the psychological movement had to do with social workers because they were like we have too much shit to deal with and this is dumb yeah so because they had to go to a home of and make sure that a 30-year-old man had a fit home. Ugh. Yeah. So that was, you know, strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I just think it's so foreign to us. And Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, but I think it's interesting. I don't think there's necessarily, obviously, an answer for this. He doesn't see himself as a gay rights activist. But he was super integral in the civil rights movement and definitely had this idea of intersectionality and integration with all people and was also gay. Right. So I guess not technically a gay rights activist except later in life, but he was gay. He was a gay rights activist. activist, Yeah. Comma. Yeah. So I don't, I think it's interesting because I mean, we've talked about people in other episodes that were kind of hesitant to be associated with the gay community or any civil rights action or AIDS activism. I know we're going to be talking about it in future episodes too. It's hard to, in the age of 
you know, it gets better and like come out mm-hmm. if you can and all that stuff. It's, I think it is strange. Only in like a not not like strange not the right word. It's foreign to us that being that people. I mean, I, I mean, it's it might be difficult for people to understand separating the political identity from what you're doing, especially when you're involved in activism. Okay, we talked about Freddie Mercury. Obviously, he was an artist. He could very much separate himself from the political because he sang songs and wrote songs. But you have Rustin, who literally was involved in politics as a black man and a gay black man, but didn't have that part, the identity politics of being gay as his political framework. Right. And the ability to separate that, I think, is kind of a strange concept in yeah. modern day. Obviously, like, it doesn't... Like, for him, he was he was a, a black activist, right? Like, he, yeah. he, he, it's not like now it would just be like, no, no, no. <laughs> he would definitely be, he would be like a gay black activist, like, and it would all be rolled up into one. And I think it's funny, too, because of, you know, kind of just how things come in waves with the you know his his dabble in communism <laughs> it's like there's many parts of the gay community especially online now that is giant unironic fans of communism and socialism yeah because it's seen as i think an equalizer i'm not gonna go into too much about that because <laughs> that's not diving into economic policies at incongruence with being gay because that's a lot yeah. and i wouldn't do it justice but I think it's interesting that we're kind of coming back to that almost. Mm. That there's this appeal to a disenfranchised group of people to an economic system that seems more likely to serve them than capitalism. Yes. So I just think that's interesting how we, things are coming back. All of this has happened before and all of it will happen again. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, I think he was a very... Wait, what happened to him? Rustin died... In 1987, from a perforated appendix. Ooh, ooh, I don't like that. Yeah. So, but strangely, Ronald, President Ronald Reagan issued a statement on his death, praising his work for civil rights and for quote human rights throughout the world. He added that Rustin was quote denounced by former friends because he never gave up his conviction that minorities in America could and would succeed based on their individual merit. And quote, well, we all know in 1987, Ronald Reagan didn't write that. <laughs> um, so, yes. as strange as it would be to think that Ronald Reagan was praising a gay black man, he probably didn't remember that he did it. Well, still, it was the administration, so that's still good. Yes, the administ- someone in the administration thought it was a good idea, so yay. I don't think that would happen today. Oh, yeah. I... No. <laughs> no, certainly not. Oh, boy. You know, he he left a very interesting legacy. In 2007, with his estate, the permission of his estate, a group of San Francisco Bay Area African-American LGBT community leaders officially formed the Bayard Rustin LGBT Coalition um, to create greater participation in the electoral process. Hmm. So it's 
it seemed like even even after he died, he was still politically still activist, but people were able to more freely use his gay identity as a part of their political identity and their political activism. Right. So even if he wasn't able to or wanted to, other people have kind of taken up his mantle and moved forward with the activism, which I think is really cool. Yeah. That people have been able to do that. Yeah. Yep. Never, never heard of him. Well, now you know why. (laughs) Now you know why. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad you learned things today. Yeah, definitely did. Yeah. Uh, So that's the end of our episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at queersdidthat at gmail.com or tweet us at queersdidthat. And until next time, make history gay and make gay history. Bye. Bye. Is that you?